Hi, I'm Don Mackey, welcome to the Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. This show is focused on providing strategies to empower community success and vitality. Each episode will feature interviews with cutting-edge rural development thought leaders and community practitioners, remarkable entrepreneurs from business, government, and nonprofits, and by sharing the learnings of E2 entrepreneurial ecosystems. Connect with me, learn more about E2, and subscribe to this show at energizingentrepreneurs.org. Hello, this is Don Mackey with E2 Entrepreneurial Ecosystems, and we are doing another edition of Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. And my guest today, and I'm going to get this last name pronounced correctly, is John Odin. Did I do pretty well? Okay, I got a thumbs up. You did yeah. excellently, yes. <laughs> Good morning, yeah, John. Good morning, John. Thank you for joining me. John and I got to know each other when they were beta testing the entrepreneurship curriculum with IEDC, the International Economic Developers Association, and we were both part of the focus group and got to know each other. And that's where I learned about John's work related to remote work and particularly distributed teams. Got a copy of your book on distributed teams called The Art and Practice of Working Together While Physically Apart and found that fascinating and thought this is right up the alley for some of our communities that are now seeing current residents and new residents that are deciding to live in rural communities, but they may have a work relationship across the country or across the globe. Just a little bit about John, and then we'll jump in. Based on your bio, you've written code. You've been involved in startups, both nonprofit and for-profit, a keen interest in diversity and culture, and I'm sure we're going to talk about that today. Obviously, you are an international expert on distributed work, and as we were nailing down the pronunciation, you gave me a pointer on Gaelic, so you've got a connection back with Ireland as well. So, John, just share a little bit about yourself, and then we'll jump right into our conversation today. Sure. First of all, it's really nice to be here. I also, in terms of kind of odd things in life, looking back that you realize later, one of the things I didn't really understand how much it affected my outlook on life, but I've been traveling as a child. My parents are nomadic. You know, they're going around, they're musicians. So they go from different place, different place. So I thought the idea of moving constantly was normal. So somebody asked me this earlier, and I was like, I did my first trip on my own international passport before I was one. And I haven't stopped. And I've worked in a bunch of different countries. I've worked with people in lots of different cultures and countries. And the idea that you can have a meaningful career and a meaningful job and go wherever you want, not being tied to have to go to a specific building, that's a reality for a lot of people and has been for a long time. I've been doing it for 28 years. You know, I've been leading teams in this for 14 and I've been running workshops and finally getting into writing a book. I've been doing that for seven. So like, this is a, a real thing. and. It's sort of been pushed onto the public stage now with COVID, but it's been an issue before with like snow days, with Ebola, with you know airline outages and closures. This is a thing. And I think it's also got interesting what people don't think about and what I'm eager to talk about here with you. It has interesting impact for how you deal with things like community development and economic development that are not often talked about. 
and I think are really, really important. Well, and I think part of what we want to talk about today is some of those trends. We've been seeing that in our work as well. And I'll talk a little bit about our own experience with the Center for Rural Entrepreneurship that preceded E2 Entrepreneurial Ecosystems. But I think it'd be interesting for you to drill down a little bit on the trends that are driving this, because we sense it's real and substantial, and it holds some pretty powerful implications for rural communities that historically have been seeing out-migration, depopulation, but also a narrowing of their economies. And it strikes me that remote work, distributed teams really represents an opportunity for not only these rural communities to kind of recharge their demography and their culture, but also broaden their economy. So can you share some of the trends that you've been observing as you've researched and documented this? Yeah, of course. So a couple of them are And it's worth noting that this is all pre-COVID stuff. It's still true now, but these are trends that have been going on for the last couple of decades. What I think is interesting, we have several important social trends crossing at the same time. And that I've not seen in my research going back. So I think this is really a unique, like people use the phrase once in a lifetime. I think this is actually once in a lifetime, but here's why I'm not just being poetic in language. So one is workforce demographics. So 2016 is the first year in the United States where millennials became the largest segment of the U.S. workforce. Anyone who's older than a millennial, and that includes me and you, (laughs) we are not the largest segment of the workforce. That was 2016. 2021 is when Gen Z, which is the generation after millennials, they became the second biggest segment of the workforce. Now, I say that because these two segments all think iPhones always existed, smartphones always existed, free streaming video on your smartphone always existed, high-speed data plans on your cell phones always existed. The idea of attaching a phone by a wire to the wall of a house is a really strange idea. And so this has problems for like if you're in the business of installing telephones into houses, this is probably not a good business model right now. But these people have different perceptions of the use of technology. They'll use smartphones for streaming video, walking down the sidewalk, talking to their friends. That's normal. It was not normal when I was growing up. So that's one change. And they're the two biggest segments of the workforce. If you're trying to hire or retain anyone in these two segments, you need to be aware of this. So one, two, we don't have a job for life. That's another trend that went away, started to go away sometime in the 80s. You know, you get a job, you work your way up from being in the mailroom through eventually you might retire as the VP of something, maybe. You know, that kind of career path doesn't happen. Average tenure in jobs in the United States now is four years. In Silicon Valley, it's even faster turnover. The average is between two years and 1.2 years. And these are for the companies with a lot of money to encourage you to stay. So That's a factor that's been going on. It's accelerating more and more and more. So loyalty to a company over decades is gone. And you could be cynical about it, or you could correctly say that these two generations growing up have witnessed their parents be jettisoned at vulnerable points in their career through lots of downsizing, layoffs, rounds, where they showed company loyalty for decades and then got kicked out the door just before retirement. So... You could say they're cynical, you could say they're observant. Yeah, but the bottom line is it means greater mobility. Where you live, 
how you work, where you work. And it strikes me, I've got uh, two young or young adult sons, and they are making fundamentally different choices about how they engage in work and with employers than, as you say, was the case when I was growing up many moons ago and entering the workforce. (laughs) The other social change that's going on is that you tend to have two adults working in a family, not one. That turns into if both people are working and you get a new job offer somewhere else because you're changing jobs every two to four years, does one person move and the other person gives up their job to follow as the trailing spouse? Or do you not take that new job? Or what some people do is they'll try and split the difference. They'll find a place to live that's halfway between both. And then they both commute, knowing that you're going to be changing jobs again in two to four years. So is this disruption worth it? So there's a bunch of data going back till 1947 showing that U.S. population is migrating less and they're commuting more. And so you put all these together. Those are the big trends. And you combine that with the fact that for certain jobs, information knowledge worker jobs, you don't actually have to be in a physical building. You have to be at a computer with a good high-speed internet connection with the right equipment and the right training. But you can be an x-ray radiologist when you're not sitting in a hospital. You're actually sitting at a computer with high-resolution monitors and high-speed internet to look at high-resolution images. Same for an accountant. Same for someone who's teaching English as a foreign language on video. Same for someone who's a software coder. But there's a bunch of different industries where information workers at a computer with a reliable connection now have the choice to work from home or work from their neighborhood. And they can choose to live wherever they want without having to make that decision based on the location of the current employer's office. Right. Well, and I think it's fair to say too, particularly with COVID, that more and more employers have come to grips with this, not only your workforce point, that if they want to be able to hire a younger generation, they're going to have to change the way they employ and the way they manage. But I think, you know, just in our own work, large numbers of our clients, the people we work with, with COVID, they became much more comfortable and versant in using video conferencing, other remote technology. They improved their internet so that they had the bandwidth. And as a result now, much more willing to engage with us and with each other than they were before. I want to move on to kind of the how. We've talked a little bit about the why, but in your book, you address the why, but you also address the how. And I I think that'll be really useful for folks to get into some of the details. As I was thinking about doing this podcast with you, I reflected and go, well, I didn't have the term distributed teams. You know, our organization is now over 25 years old. And from the very beginning, Deb Markley, who was my partner in crime, was based in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. I was in Lincoln, Nebraska. These are not beside each other. (laughs) Yeah, right. And most of our staff and our network of consultants we're all located in different places, uh, Washington, D.C., Atlantic, Iowa, you know, we can run the list. So I realized that we were working as a distributed team and, you know, there were challenges. Periodically, we would get together, but we also, 
it gave us a whole set of assets in that we could find the right people who are willing to engage with us when we were putting teams together for projects. And again, it drove us to get more comfortable with the technology. This doesn't come naturally to me, but I've become more comfortable with it and hopefully a little more competent. So first of all, kind of share a little bit about this meaning of distributed teams. And then I'd be interested in having you talk about what are some of the, I guess, best practices as folks think about working this way? Because it's not just employee-employer. It also allows for people who are collaborating, say, around economic development, where they're working with a consultant, maybe they're working with the state, the ability to bring together these distributed teams around specific projects or initiatives is also relevant. Yeah. Okay, so let me start with the terminology one first, and then we can do the next. So terminology, you know, there's been all sorts of, you know, remote work, virtual work, telework, offshoring, onshoring. I think I'm forgetting one. Anyway, and then distributed teams. So what I think is interesting is that the language you use communicates some internal hidden bias in your brain. So if I say remote work, that implies in the back of my head, I'm the center of the universe and you are remote from me. And that's fine so long as I am the center of the universe, which is sort of in my brain, I guess I might be. But it does give you the I'm better than you problem to watch for. And it comes with a bias here, which is I am the center of the universe. You're remote. You're the one who's responsible for all of the effort of communication, coordinating, setting up video calls, making sure all the emails detail out the right things. Not me, because I'm the center of the universe. And that's a problem, because if it becomes only one person's work to do the communicating and everyone else can just kind of sit around and wait for it to happen, then it won't work. It falls apart. You might get away with it for a few months, but pretty quickly it's going to be a problem. So that's an important point. That's a real important point. That bias is critical for anyone that is attempting to do work or collaborate through this kind of vehicle, because it has an egalitarian quality to it. And I would assume also that when we're thinking about younger generations that prefer to work this way or to engage this way, that kind of attitude could become a real problem in terms of the people they're working with. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I mean, so the generational thing, but also even returning workforce, pick someone who's returning back into the workforce after being out of the workforce for some amount of time. They might want to take the job, but they don't want to be the second-class citizen. They want a job that actually, you know, sometimes people just need a job that will pay the bill for the next hour or the next few hours. That's one thing. But if people actually want to re-enter the workforce to rebuild their career, they want a meaningful shot at being able to have a career path and be able to do work that they're proud of. And if I'm the center of the universe and you only get the second-class work because I'm the center of the universe and you're remote, your odds are not in favor of you. You know, you start getting this bias that says, well, I give the cool projects to the people who I can see in the office. So anyone who's in the office is a first-class citizen. Anyone who's remote, air quotes, is a second-class citizen. Well, guess which one you want to be involved with? And more to the point, if you can't commute to that office because you've got childcare situations going on or you've got a physical limitation that you've got to deal with about you know, being blind or in a wheelchair or whatever else is going on, then it's actually easier to not take the job. 
And so you get high numbers of unemployment. Now, 74% of Americans with long-term disabilities are unemployed. Now, some of those are, you know, related to, you know, they can't work because of the nature of what's going on with them. And that's, you know, fine. That's what long-term disability is for. But some of those are people, and I know several of them, who are disgruntled about being unemployed, but they can't commute to an office twice a day because you try taking a wheelchair through public transit from the side of town that they can afford to where your office is. And therefore, they won't even apply for the job because they couldn't take it even if you gave it to them. So this also has implications for in our workforce short environment to bring additional human talent to play. Sure. And so these categories are like veteran categories, one military spouses have on average three times the unemployment rate of the local jurisdiction, all because they keep moving. Right. And so there's a different variation on the problem. The important thing here, again, with the language is if you are careful about saying that we are all part of a distributed team, everybody on the team is responsible for crisp, clear communication, including the person who might be sitting in a building with a logo on the door. Everybody. And that distributed team makes everyone equal. That's where you start to be able to bring people in. Everyone can have a good career path, even though they sit in North Carolina or San Francisco or Nebraska, wherever. And so I very strongly recommend don't say remote. Again, there's the, don't say virtual because virtual employee means that I'm a real employee and you're virtual. Who wants to be that person? Telework means your work is so simple it can be done on a telephone. That means you're not doing complicated stuff. So, you know, and the origins of some of these words, they don't mean it in a negative way, but like telework has been around since the 1980s. And because that was the communications device of the time. Well, I mean, what it reminds me is I'm going to change the title of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> no, no. I mean, that's part of it. So, you know, your book is loaded with advice, and I really encourage people to get it, and we'll share that information when Anne sends this podcast out. But if there were three tips to organizations, employers, who really want to embrace this opportunity to engage human talent in the work they're trying to do, what would be your top three items of advice? I'm kind of putting you on the spot because yeah, that are. wasn't in the script. No, that's a good <laughs> pick just three. All right. First one is this is not a technology problem. I mean, obviously, if the tools you have don't work, you should replace them. But there are plenty of tools out there in the market that work. They don't cost a lot of money. I'm trying to knock it into product placement stuff because I don't think I should. But I mean, I use video software. It costs me $15 a month. That's one five. It works outstandingly, and I run hundreds of unique connections at a time in for large event conference calls and all this. You know, the tools work. Uh, you know, I'm using a $50, $60 webcam, and a, you know, I splashed out after talking with you. I splashed out and got a $100 microphone. But, you know, this is not like tens of thousands of dollars of AV gear. So the tools are available. Consumer-grade electronics work. Get the tools, know how to use them. That's number one. Number two, it's not a technology problem. This is a human leadership problem. How you lead, how you communicate what people want, how you check in on people, how you build trust and team culture. These are human leadership qualities. 
That's why the book is about leading. Everything, you know, it's broken up into small little chapters around how do you deal with onboarding? How do you deal with culture? How do you deal with conflict? How do you deal with trust, isolation? These are all the things that you need to figure out how to do. You should be doing these if you're working with people in an office. And often people sort of do, but sort of don't. But when you're physically distributed, you have to be very crisply dialed in on this stuff. And it's all about what the leader does and leads by example. You can make all the fancy pronouncements and, you know, motivational speeches you want. But if you don't change as a leader, if you don't change how you behave, people are watching, people will notice, and people will do as you do, not as you say. So lead carefully. That would be my, if you did nothing else, <laughs> do the, you know, fix the tools and know that it's a leadership problem, not a technology problem. And I, actually, you know what, you asked for three, so I'll give you a third. There is a third one, which is, it's easy to get into a mindset that says, this is all bad. It's how much of a compromise am I making? Am I, you know, I'm cutting back my expectations to do X. I would rephrase that and say, you actually have, and I've, I'm not just saying it to sound optimistic, but I've seen this turn around organizations that were having a hard time hiring, having a hard time retaining, having a hard time being profitable. And you totally turn around the caliber of people you can hire, the retention of the people you have, the ability to actually change, like, what is your workforce diversity metrics look like? And if you keep trying the same thing of like, I'll only hire people who can commute to my office. Well, that means you're only hiring people who live within commute range of your building and who are able-bodied enough to get through the city or across the road to your building and back. And that means they have, if they have kids, they've got someone who's taking care of their kids or they're, you know, if they've got a caregiver situation with a sibling, a family member, who's doing that for them. But you're eliminating out all the people who don't have caregivers who can't get across the street because they're in a wheelchair or they're blind. Of course, your diversity numbers look bad. You're eliminating most of the people just by requiring them to come to your building. So you can solve some really hard social problems that have been intractable before by changing how you hire. Well, and it seems to me it also addresses the life-work balance issue. I mean, I think you're alluding to that, but I want to nail it because a worker shouldn't have to skip their kindergartner's play because they're forced to go into a workplace. They can still be productive. They can still be fully engaged. But I know early in my career where the expectation was you show up at 8.30 and you go home at 5 and you take a lunch break at this particular time, I missed a lot of my young son's activities because it was special to get off to do those. And, you know, we know creativity and life balance have a connection and this gives them some choice. Before I go on to the next question, I just want to share an observation. And that is, you know, I did a project with my home university, the University of Nebraska. I'm a proud graduate. And we were working with rural communities in Nebraska through Cooperative Extension, the land-grant university system. And we were really making the case to rural communities that there's no reason they should accept second best. They can access some of the best expertise in the world through their land-grant university. 
But the expectation that that professor, or that researcher is going to get in a car and drive six hours, spend an hour with the community, and then drive six hours home was just unrealistic. And so we really began to use video conferencing and saying, we will connect you to some of the best talent that might help you with downtown revitalization or retail competition or how to make your community walkable and bikeable. But this is the trade-off, and it's really a huge opportunity to work with very talented people, but also for them to be able to work with you. And I've been really encouraged that when communities are kind of faced with that choice, they really begin to embrace this idea that you don't have to necessarily be in their community to have a relationship and to collaboratively work on projects. And so anyway, found it fascinating. That's true. And the ability to bring in somebody bring in somebody, air quoting, like (laughs) teleporting in somebody on a video call is a resource that's available to people. And, you know, like I talked to, there's folks who are setting up and running co-working spaces in small towns on the West coast of Ireland and Northern Scotland and some of the Spanish islands off the coast of Morocco. And I talk with them and do video calls with them. And even before COVID, it would be quite a challenge to suddenly start showing up in small towns in Northern Scotland, be a lot of fun and go visit family and things like that. But, you know, that's a non-trivial commitment to suddenly spend two days traveling at least, you know. So being able to show up and just do things quickly and be available when they hit a problem, like I need an answer to this thing today, not in three weeks time when you manage to book a flight and you've adjusted your schedule to, that's a huge thing. And there is a sensitivity you need to be aware, speaking as the guy who gets brought in, I'm an outsider. What do I know about the local culture? Well, I know a little bit, maybe from this, or I can kind of extrapolate from what I've seen grow up in the countryside in Ireland and other countries as well. But what do I know about living in Lincoln, Nebraska? Approximately zero, right? But I can shut up and listen. And here, and then I can also spot these trends that are happening in other towns and be like, hey, when you're hitting this thing, that's very similar to what I saw in this town and in this town, which makes me think, are you also seeing this? And I can help connect dots that people might not think are related. Well, and I think it's also part of the responsibility is with rural communities. If you want to access some of the best talent that can help you with the issues you're working on... How do you get better at building a relationship using this remarkable technology, these platforms? I mean, I have folks that I've worked with for 15 years that I've never physically met, and I feel like I know their kids, I know their communities. It took a little bit of effort on both of our parts to build that relationship, but now as I'm kind of approaching semi-retirement, I'm going, okay, I'm going to go visit some of these people (laughs) after I built you know, years of relationship through the technology. Well, John, as I said, these conversations go quickly, but I want to make sure that we can give our listeners some information about how they can learn more about you and your work and the kinds of resources that are out there to help folks. So if you would share two things, one is what's next for you in terms of research and writing and the work you do, and then also how can people learn more about you and your work and 
how distributed teams can really open up a whole set of opportunities for rural communities across not only North America, but for that matter, globally now. So the thing that's been most exciting to me, which is why I was at that event where we met, and you know, why I keep loving talking with you, is when you think at a larger scale, beyond my company is physically distributed, it's like, oh, well, my company being physically distributed means that person who had to leave town to go somewhere else to get a job, they can now return back to where their family is, or they could decide to go live somewhere else, but they can now live wherever they want and still have their job which means if they want to return back to their hometown, a lot of people will do that. And that's a now a valid option. It was not a thing before. You'd have to quit out of your high-speed career to come back to town to take care of a you know, family member, and you're basically putting your career on hold. That's not true anymore. Now you have to you know, juggle the hours of the day, but... You still bring your job. And more to the point, when you come back, now you have distributed the economy of your town. Because now you are a, a person with a job with money. So you're now paying taxes, which people like, well, I mean, which jurisdictions like. So that means somebody gets money to pay for potholes and things like that. But also you have money. So you go buy coffee in a coffee shop, which means that the coffee shop has a customer. and. By the way, because you were working for employer number one and the person across the street who came back home works for employer number seven, you're not all dependent on one employer. And what I see a lot is a community where the majority of the people in the community work for one employer. It's a company town, to use some language from the past. And that company town means it shifts the entire economy of the town. If that company leaves, Everyone who worked there loses their job and everyone else who didn't work there but depended on it lose their job too. So this is a way to not only enrich the diversity of the economy, but we're also talking about enriching the diversity of the culture of the community. The sociology of the place has the opportunity to become more diverse, more rich as well. Right. Fair statement? Yep. Totally fair statement. So that, that to me is the exciting part. So I've been doing a lot of work around policies on this, both in terms of economic development policy, but also in terms of, because this is different to what you call traditional economic development, where you give money to a company and the company comes to your town. This is a totally different way of doing it. So I spent a lot of time explaining that it's even possible. The other side is working with companies that are large employers to change their policy so they would allow people to work from wherever which then frees up a human who wants to move and wants to keep their job, but they're not allowed to move because of a corporate policy or a legal jurisdiction policy so they can move and bring their job with them. So those are the two angles where I spend most of my time right now. So John, share with us, how can people get a copy of your book? How can people connect with you? We'll, of course, include this information when we drop the episode, but let us know. Yeah, sure. So the, the book, distributedteamsbook.com, it's on you know Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and all the various bookstores. If you have a local bookstore near where you live, go in there. They will be able to get it if they don't already have it. So you know, support your local bookstores as well. That's the book. The website that I mentioned, Distributed Teams book, that also has links for how to contact me for, I do speaking events and keynotes and, you know, corporate workshops and things like that. 
I also do a bunch of work with different jurisdictions around policy. That's the way to find me there. If you want to follow me, there's all the social media stuff, which I don't really use because I just don't have time or headspace for it. But you can find me on LinkedIn. That one I use a lot. So I'm the only John Odin on LinkedIn. <laughs> I'll put the link. We have the link here in, in the notes. Yeah, we'll make sure that that's part of the information that's shared. And so, John, I just want to thank you for being so gracious with your time and your knowledge. It's been great to get to know you. You're one of those people that I've gotten to know through the technology. Hopefully someday we can actually have a cup of coffee together Oh yeah, across the table. Yeah, I'd enjoy that. <laughs> yeah, so thank you for joining us today. You are totally welcome. It was my pleasure. So, folks, just remind you, your go-to resource to find this podcast, other podcasts, information on John's book is energizingentrepreneursalloneword.org. And if you have problems, reach out to Anne. She's always great at helping you troubleshoot. There's information on that website about our National Practitioners Network and resources that are available to your community to grow a stronger entrepreneurial economy. Of course, our monthly newsletter, it's easy to subscribe to. It's easy to unsubscribe if you don't find it useful. But that's where you'll receive information on the latest content that we've generated or that in this case, one of our guests has helped provide. And of course, there'll be information on how you can access this podcast through your favorite platform. So on behalf of John and I and our whole team at E2 Entrepreneurial Ecosystems, thank you for joining us and dig into this. This is a huge opportunity that could help your community become richer and better and more successful in the future. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. Head on over to energizingentrepreneurs.org where you can subscribe to this podcast and tap into more than 25 years of field experience from E2 Entrepreneurial Ecosystems. I'm Don Mackey, and I'll see you next time on Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. Mm-hmm.